Welcome, welcome, everybody. Good to have you guys with us. Good to be back. Been off for off the stage for a few weekends, and it's good to be back in the swing. I want to say a big shout out to Pastor Nick Bodine and uh, my wife Lori. Both did an amazing job teaching, and uh, really, I was convicted and inspired, encouraged. I know you were too. So uh, very grateful for them, and grateful to have such a great team here at Central. Well, you know, I want to talk to you a little bit today about dreams. You know, there's all kinds of dreams. There's, there's good dreams. There's bad dreams. I saw this website. It had the top four bad dreams that people, like, wake up from, the top four nightmares that people have. Uh, number four was the test dream. You ever had this dream where you're, like, right before you take a test or whatever, you know, you're, all your, you're tossing and turning and you're bombing the test and, you know, it's bad, right? Number three was the showing up without all your clothes on dream. You know, this dream's no fun. I'm just telling you. People are looking at you in your dream. They're pointing at you. You might even think your popularity's going up. Like, oh, man, check it out. That's awesome. Then you realize there's a whole lot more going on than you realized was going on. And so the best part about that dream is waking up. Uh, Number two was um, the, uh, let's see, the teeth falling out dream. You know, it's kind of like the zombie apocalypse and you dream that your teeth are falling out. And the number one most common bad dream is just the falling dream where you're falling like from a building or whatever. And, uh, you know, you wake up hopefully right before you hit the ground. I was always told in school, like, bro, if you hit the ground and you remember it, you're going to die. And so I just got in my head, you know, like, did I actually hit the ground? Did I not hit the ground? I don't know. I can't remember what happened. It was a whole thing. So we have bad dreams. We also have good dreams. Uh, you know, watching the Olympics, you see so many people fulfilling their dreams, going after their dreams, accomplishing amazing things, which is just awesome to see. I know you have dreams for your family and your future, your friends, your career. Um, we have dreams. But have you ever thought about this, that God has a dream? That God has a dream and that his dream isn't simply that we would come to believe in him and follow him and trust Jesus Christ in our lives, but that a part of God's dream is that we would also lean into relationship with other people and be in community in the church so that we can grow and thrive and really live out our purpose. Community is God's dream for his people. And you see it all throughout the Bible. In fact, let's go back to the book of Acts, chapter 2. This is where the early church community first really formed. And Acts 2, verse 42, is this foundational passage because it's like uh, for 40 years at Central, it's been a key passage for us at this church. But, but it's the sort of key descriptive passage of what those early followers of Jesus did. So a few verses before this, we read that um, Peter has preached the first message after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And people have uh, committed their lives to Christ. And then it says this, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, help me on the red word, fellowship. You see that? Let's try that again. And to fellowship. Very good. And to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. This is cool because it's giving us this descriptive picture of the first church community and how they lived their lives. Now I want you to notice they devoted themselves to several things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We'll talk about that. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to this idea of sharing life together. Everybody 
everybody was important. Everybody had a contribution to make. Everybody had a, a, you know, a purpose to live out. And they, they journeyed that together in community. That's what you see the early church doing. So I want to suggest to you today that if you want to sort of move in your life from maybe a bad dream scenario into more of God's dream for your life, one of the ways you do that is you lean into community. My first challenge for you is to share your life. To share your life. Community is so important. When the shutdown happened um, last year, 16 months ago, I kind of came out of that season and said to myself, I would never again take for granted the fact that we get to gather as a church community, the fact that we get to do life together. Like, like I wasn't going to just blow past that anymore. I remember we did a Celebrate Recovery uh, chip night that was a drive-through night because it was in the, sh the, uh, uh, the shutdown first months of the pandemic. And so people drove through the church and, you know, I, me and the team, we were handing uh, these recovery chips to them through the windows of their cars. And this was Celebrate Recoveries for everybody, by the way. You don't have to be wrestling with substance abuse or, or uh, alcohol addiction or anything like that. It's just for hurts, habits, hangups, any kind of stuff in your life. And so there's these, once a month we have these chip nights that are marker nights to help you just kind of mark your progress from whatever, codependency, whatever you're kind of dealing with getting victory on in your life. But we're handing these chips through these car windows. Everybody's very emotional. Um, we haven't really been able to gather. Nobody's been gathered. Everything's been closed, you know. All these people are crying and they're all car by car. So many times they're asking me the same question. Pastor, when is the church going to open up physically? Pastor, when are we going to meet again? Pastor, I really need to be in community with other people. And um, you know, I'm just seeing the tears in their eyes. And I'll never forget that moment because the more I was asked that question, the more I, I didn't know how to, how to answer it with all the government mandates, but the less I stopped caring. And the more I just started saying like, we're gonna open soon because people need the Lord. Like we're gonna open soon. And, you know, and eventually we, we jumped through a lot of hoops and we were able to do that. But I'm not going to take that for granted again. We need each other. We need community. The, the, let's not forget the lessons of the last year, the loneliness of the last year, and how we do need each other. Community is wired into us by God himself. In fact, the reason I think community is such an important thing for us is that God is in community with himself. Let's do a little theological study, okay? You're going to feel really smart after this. But let's go to the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We're going to bring it up on the screen here. This is the first verses of the Bible. And when we get to the red word, say them out real loud here. It says, in the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the what? Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, then God, what, said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, here's why I think this is important. In the very first sentence of the Bible, you see God, the creator. You see God, the spirit, the spirit of God. And you see God, the word, the word of God, let there be light. This is the first two sentences of the Bible. Then you go on to the Gospel of John in the New Testament, and it says this about Jesus. Check it out. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, the first part of the book. It's going to start very familiar. It's going to say, in the beginning. Does that sound familiar? Right, we just read that in Genesis. In the beginning, the what? Word already existed. 
The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. Verse 14 says, So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. So the Word of God is Jesus himself. As it continues to be kind of fleshed out in John chapter 1, the Word is Jesus. So let's go back to Genesis. Here's where I'm going with all of this. In the first two sentences of the Bible, you see God the Father, God created the heaven in the earth. You see God the Spirit. Spirit of God is hovering over the surface of water. You see God the Word. Jesus is the living Word of God. Let there be light. And so this is why theologians talk about God as a trinity. One God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And you actually see it in the first couple sentences of the Bible. Pretty cool, huh? Now, Trinity, you know, it's hard to understand that God, there's one God, but there's three persons. It's complex. And theologians, the, the word Trinity isn't a word you'll find in the Bible, but it's historically a part of uh, Christian faith. And the whole idea behind the Trinity was to um, not explain away the mystery of God, but to put boundaries up so that people wouldn't distort the mystery of God. And, you know, Jesus wasn't fully God or the Spirit isn't fully God. People made up all kinds of different false teachings that they had to deal with. And so they came back again and again to the idea that, look, there's one God and three persons. And you see it even in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Look at this. God's creating. He's creating human beings. And it says, then God said, let what? Us <laughs> make human beings in our image to be like us. And commentators have looked at this and been like, this is interesting. This is the first chapter of Genesis. Who is us? There's nobody created yet. Here's the deal. God is in community with himself. Okay? God is in community with himself. Here's why this is significant. We're made in the image of God. And the only way we fully fulfill the image of God in our lives is to be in community with other people just as God is in community with himself. All right, that's enough theology. God creates Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, right? Here's Adam. Be sweet to be Adam. You're in the garden. There's no sin. It's all perfect. It's like you want a banana? Eat a banana, bro. No calories here. You want an apple, have an apple. Everything's good, right? I don't have to worry about masks. There's no COVID. I don't have to worry about, you know, all the things, right? There's no bills. There's no problems. It's just like, you know, akuna matata. And God looks down. He's made this incredible creation. At every mark in creation in, in the book of Genesis, God says it is good. It is good. It is good. He creates Adam. Man, you know, and then he says it's not good. He says, it's not good that he should be alone, right? And so the Bible says God formed from a portion of the man, the woman, and that she was to be a helpmate. That's how a lot of people translate this Hebrew word, a helpmate. It's interesting, though, the Hebrew word could really be translated. You look at the way it's used throughout the Old Testament this way, that the woman would be the rescuer of the current state of affairs. Come on, ladies. All the ladies are like, jeez. Look at that. I knew that. Just glad to hear the Bible affirm what I already knew. We've been saving these boys for thousands of years. She's the rescuer of the current state of affairs. And what was the current state of affairs? Adam was alone. 
This is way bigger than marriage. People try to reduce this to just marriage. No, no, this is more than marriage. This is about Adam needed to be in community. We are all created to be in community with one another. And so you read through the Bible, God raises up a guy named Abraham. Through Abraham, he raises up the Israelite nation and the whole story of the Old Testament is God journeying. He, he wants a people that's dedicated to him, that's committed to him, that serves one another and serves their community and serves him. They love, and the whole journey of the Old Testament is they go their own way, they run, they rebel, God brings them back, he disciplines them, right? It's up and down, it's all around, it's crazy town. Then you get to the New Testament, Jesus is crucified, he's buried, he, he raises again, he ascends into heaven, Peter delivers the first message, and boom, this new church community begins. The Bible says 3,000 people were baptized that day. And so, by the way, 3,000 people is a mega church from the, from the very beginning. So don't tell me that large churches are unbiblical, right, just right out. Size isn't what's important. Because you know what you see in the New Testament? You see small churches and you see large churches. You see house churches. You also see 3,000. Scholars will tell you that you go through the book of Acts, you see that 3,000 becomes 5,000 men. It's likely 20,000 people plus in the church in Jerusalem, like as it's growing. It's not about how big or small you are. It's about are you devoted to Jesus, to the apostles' teaching? Are you devoted to fellowship, to life together, to serving, right? All the things that we see the early church community do. That's what, that's what matters, that's what's important. And so, share your life. Galatians chapter three, verse 28, here's what Paul says. He says, um, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. You are one in Christ Jesus. And that's the unique thing about the church. Thomas Cahill, in his book, Desire for the Everlasting Hills, says that Galatians 3.28 is the first time up to that point in human history, at least in literature, that anybody actually argued for the equality of all human beings. Not Plato, not the Greeks, not the Romans, not you know, Socrates, Aristotle. Not, he's like, you had to go all the way up to the Bible, to Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, before you have the first marker of somebody arguing in literature for the equality of all human beings. That's the church. And what's that equality based on? It's based on Jesus Christ, right? We saw it together. We are one in Jesus Christ. So your background, it's important. Your color, it's important. Your, your, your history, it's important. But it's not the most important, right? Whether No matter the color of your skin, where you're from, what your nationality is, we are one in Jesus Christ. And we we have to share life with one another and represent that. That's why the church has to go first. We've got to go first with uh, racial reconciliation and restoration. We have to go first with being a safe place to love one another. People who are different or don't look like us or don't talk like us or come from the same background we are. We've got to model what it is to share life with one another. Because if it can't happen here, how in the world is it going to happen anywhere else? So share your life together. Here's another thought, and that is, and then show up to fill up. Those early followers of Jesus, they shared life, they showed up, and they filled up. Check this out. Message translation, Acts chapter 2, 42, says they committed themselves to the what? 
teaching of the apostles. They gave themselves to the teaching of the apostles. That's why every weekend at Central, we bring scriptures up on the screens. We go to the Bible. That's our authority. We want to give ourselves to the apostles' teaching, which is basically the Bible. We want to give ourselves to the word of God and let his word guide us. The most important thing that you need to know about Central every weekend when you come here, my commitment to you is that no matter who's teaching, the Bible is what's being taught, right? Because that's the word of God. That's the main thing. I mean, we've had some awesome weekends this last weekend, these last several weekends, and I wasn't here. And that's a beautiful thing because we're way bigger than one individual, right? We're, we're, I remember years ago, this lady, she, I was walking around talking to people before church, and she goes, I heard you're not teaching this weekend. I said, no. And she goes, but you're out here like talking to people. I said, yeah. She goes, hmm. She goes, well, I want, you're a Cowboys fan, right? It was years ago. I said, yeah, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm nominal, but I'm a Cowboys fan. She goes, you're a Cowboys fan. So, so I want you to imagine, like, I go to the stadium and Tony Romo's walking around. He's the old quarterback. Tony Romo's walking around talking to everybody, but he's not playing in the game. <laughs> She's like, this really bothers me. I said, oh, that's good. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I said, except in this scenario at church, Jesus is the quarterback. And I told her, I said, where two or three people gather in his name, he has promised he will be there. And she's like, yeah, that's good. That's good. So that's the thing about the church. We give ourselves not to a personality other than the personality of Jesus. I always say around Central, there's no celebrity pastors at Central, only servants. The only, the only celebrity we serve is Jesus, right? He's a celebrity. But here's the deal. Um, we give ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the word of God. We're under that authority. We're, we're challenged by it. We're inspired by it. We're convicted by it. That's why we turn to it again and again and again. And God uses it in powerful ways in our lives. But you got to show up to receive that. you got to make the commitment that you made this weekend. And I know there's a lot of reasons people, they don't, they don't get to church. Some people are like, well, you know, the church is just full of hypocrites, right? There's all these people, just hypocrites, whatever. And I always say, you're right. There's, the church is full of hypocrites, and there's always room for one more. So come on in and join us. You know what I mean? Like, we got space for you. You'll feel right at home. You know, some people are like, oh, man, I just, you know, nature is my church. You know, when I'm out in I don't need to go to church because I just go out to nature, and then it's amazing, and it feels good in nature. You can experience God in nature. Nature's amazing. But I want you to think about this. I used to work with the homeless. I still do, but, but used to do it a lot more. And, and every single time I see a homeless person, maybe they're laying on the street, Maybe they threw up on themselves the night before. Maybe they haven't had a bath in two or three weeks or at the lowest kind of point in their life. But here's the thing. I could look at that individual's eyes and that individual in his or her worst state in their life is worth more than the Grand Canyon. He or she is worth more than Yosemite National Park. They're worth more than Lake Mead. They're worth more than the Pacific Ocean because they're made in the image of God. And so you can experience God in nature, but you won't fully experience all that God has for you in your life until you also bring other people into that experience. It's community. Some people say, well, 
you know, I, I used to go to church before COVID. And then COVID happened. And now, you know, I'm just, I'm not in the habit. Had a lot of these conversations, a lot of these conversations. And, and I'm sympathetic. And listen, some people need to stay home right now. I understand with the Delta variant and all the things going on, we need to be careful, we need to be wise. I get that, I respect it. I don't judge anybody. But here's what I'll also encourage you. This year, at some point for all of us, we're gonna have to kind of cross some line where we have to acknowledge, are, is this habit gonna become a lifestyle or are we gonna go back to old habits? I think it's why the book of Hebrews, it says this, it says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. In the early church community, some people had already gotten to the habit where they weren't gathering anymore, right? They weren't meeting together anymore. And it happened subtly. If I was to summarize a bunch of conversations, it would go like this. I'd talk to people and they say, well, you know, I just haven't really been back to church yet since COVID, right? But um, some of you right now, you're listening online, you're, you're running right now, listening to me on a podcast. I'm talking to you. You're like, I just haven't been back to church yet since COVID happened, you know. And I'll say, well, you know, how did it go with COVID? And they'll start breaking it down. Well, you know, first we, we all got together as a family and we watched church online every week. We were super faithful in those early weeks of the shutdown, you know. And then, uh, you know, over time, you know, got this thing got a little harder, you know. So we kind of slide in and out. We still sort of try to do it. And then, then we started, you know, we put it on the iPad while we're making breakfast Sunday morning, you know. And so we're watching church kind of while we're, while we're eating and then you know and then well you know and then eventually it just I mean I, I listen when I when I run I listen to the podcast well how, how long you listen to the podcast well uh I mean it's been a couple months what's happening new habits are forming right that's all it is but here's why it's important our habits shape us what did we say a few weeks few months ago in a teaching series we said look you don't rise to the level of your dreams you fall to the level of your habits because your habits are the basic building block that moves you forward or backward in your life, right? So some people are just out of the habit and I'm sympathetic, but my challenge to you is you need to get back in the habit. Do whatever you have to do to make church a priority because it's God's dream for your life to be in community with other people. Um, and here's what happens in community. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 43. Check out this description of the early church community. It says, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. So they were, they were in awe. God was moving, and he was working. They were in authentic community, and they were sharing devotion and life together. There was this awe and wonder, and it wasn't at the apostles. It was at who God is and what he's doing in their midst. And friends, listen, we see miracles around here every week. I see people coming to faith in Christ. I see people being baptized every week, people finding meaning and purpose, people experiencing healing, and I stand in awe at who God is. I see marriages being restored, addictions being overcome. I see people going through despair and finding joy even in the midst of that challenging situation. I see good overcoming evil. Come on, I see wisdom overcoming foolishness. I see joy overcoming despair, love overcoming hate. 
hate. I see unity overcoming division. I see forgiveness overcoming bitterness. I see generosity overcoming greed, kindness overcoming selfishness, hope overcoming hopelessness. I stand in awe because that's what God does through his people. Listen, I see hope for the city, faithfully out there serving pop-up food pantries around our community for 73 straight weeks. 73 straight weeks. I see kids coming in to get backpacks and encouragement. I see students making life-changing decisions in their life for God and for good, and I stand in awe. But I don't look around and stand in awe because all of the great things we do. I stand in awe because of who God is and that he would use a ragtag bunch of followers like us to make any impact in somebody's life. And what I want you to realize is when you're not in community, that's a lot of stuff you miss out on seeing, right? That's a lot of stuff that you miss out on experiencing. And not only that, when you're not in community, other people miss out on the blessing you would bring to them in your life. So if you were extroverts, so you love being around people, you're like, this is awesome, church, awesome, party, awesome, game, awesome. But some of you are introverts, and introverts, that's a whole other thing. You're like, man, crowds drain me. I'm tired just thinking about going to church. There's people around me. It's exhausting. You know, that Hebrews passage, I don't know that it was really written for extroverts. It was definitely written for introverts. We need it. I'm a flourishing introvert myself. I love people, but I got to pull back to breathe and to recharge and to re-engage. And us introverts, we need each other. But, but here's what I want to say to the introverts. Sometimes you may come to church, and because of how you're wired, it doesn't really even do anything for you. But don't underestimate how important it is that you're there and that your presence is there for what it says to people around you. Don't underestimate what God can do through you, even if you don't receive as much from it, in being present and in living that out as a faithful witness in your life. You're making a statement. When you go to church, your neighbors see it, your friends see it eventually, people around you, people you don't even realize, no, you're making a statement. So my challenge is keep showing up, make a commitment this fall, keep showing up, keep praying regularly, pray bold prayers for each other, for the church. Mark Batterson said, God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. And then maybe commit to take your next step. Maybe this fall is the time. I don't know what that next step is for some of you. Maybe it's jumping in serving, even if it's an hour a month, 15 minutes a week, something big, something small. There's a million options. You can go to central.family and see how you can jump in. Maybe it's making, maybe your next step is, is something that uh, you feel called to do, forgiving somebody or doing something at work or taking a step in your, your career. Maybe it's getting some people around you that can encourage you, walk with you, jumping into a group. Maybe it's celebrate recovery, dealing with some addiction stuff in your 
your life. Maybe it's the next step. And so first step is a great opportunity for that. All of that and more is available at central.family. You can scope out different information. You could take that step in your life. But here's what I know. Even if your life is hard right now and if it feels like it's a bad dream, if you will step into God's dream, not just that you trust Christ and believe in him, but also that you're willing to step into community and do life with others, that will make a positive difference in your life. They say you and our life, they say our life comes down to the basic five friendships we have around us, right? So get intentional about the people you're going to put around yourself in your life. Get intentional about the community you're going to lean into and let that give you life and give you strength as you move forward. Share your life. You were made to be in community with others, just like God himself. And then show up to fill up. God can fill you in powerful ways as you show up and trust him. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never crossed the line of faith. And I'd love to just give you an opportunity to reach out to God and to trust him in your life. So I want to ask everybody, would you please bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're ready to take that spiritual step, you can begin that journey by repeating this simple prayer after me. Just open your heart to Christ. Just say, dear God, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face the challenges I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you in Christ's name. Friends, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's your prayer today, if it's your commitment, I want to ask you to just slip your hand in the air. Just make eye contact with me just to say before God, to say to me, you're going to follow him and you're going to trust him in your life. God bless you guys. Just reach out to him today. Thank you guys. Bless you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Just reach out to him. God bless you guys. Thank you. God, I thank you for each person trusting you today. I pray that you'll just move in their life in a supernatural and powerful way and do a work that only you can do. God, we love you. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's put our hands together for those who made spiritual commitments in their life today. If you made a spiritual commitment, I want to encourage you to go to central.family and just click the link that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. And we'd love to give some resources to you that'll be helpful on the spiritual journey. Well, at this time, let's put our hands together for our location pastors who are going to come out and close out our experience.